You're listening to the North Parkway Podcast, weekly talks designed to help you take the next step in your spiritual journey. You can learn more about our church at northparkway.org. And if these talks are helpful to you, consider using the link in the description to give. Your financial support helps us continue to make great content. All right, well, that's enough intro. Let's get to today's talk. Do you remember where you were when you saw the two towers fall on September 11th, 2001? But that put a bookmark into your memory bank. I was in college, and I have several really strong visuals, several memories from that day. One of them was, I first heard that something was going on. I was sitting in sight singing and ear training class uh, real early in the morning because my buddy convinced me to switch to the earlier time because he was crazy. And somebody said, hey, I heard that a plane crashed into the World Trade Center. And I thought like little private charter plane. Oh, wow, that's a tragedy. And then I have a, a a memory when I stepped into the student chapel because we went right out of service into the chapel service and a couple thousand students in the room and um, speaker on the stage said folks we got a really serious problem going on our country is under attack but whoa this is more serious than I thought I have a memory of a rush of 18 to 22 year olds going through the lobby of the chapel and each of us back to our rooms to turn on the TV as fast as possible to see what in the world is going on. I remember standing for hours, not sitting because I couldn't stand to sit. That's weird to say. I couldn't bear sitting down. I remember watching as they showed the planes crashing over and over again on replay as they showed bodies jumping off of the roof as they showed the towers crumbling to the ground and it was an experience that each of you experience in your own way if you were around for it. And I, I want today's generation, I want the young people of today to know about that. It's important. It's part of our national history. I want my kids to know about 9-11 and they learn about it in school. But it's one of those things where there's an experiential element to that day, to that moment that you can't get unless you were there. There are things that learning about it in school can't teach you. The, the feeling of shock that something like this happened on our soil. The feeling of fear. Where is it going to happen next? The, the feeling of uncertainty is what are we doing in response we don't even know who's responsible. We don't even know where the president is. He's flying somewhere. The, the feeling of vulnerability. And those are things that no matter how much I explain them, no matter how much I tell the story, it's not the same unless you were there and you experienced it. And there are times in life, there are moments, there are things that you, you just have to be there. If you've ever stood with your toes in the sand looking out at the expanse of the ocean, you know that that's a moment you just have to experience it. If, if you remember that first moment when you realize that your bicycle is balancing without the training wheels and you figured it out, you, just, you can read a book about bicycles. It's not the same as feeling it. That first moment when you realize, I think I love this girl and I want to marry her. 
So you have to experience it. The, the feeling whenever, whenever your first child is born and they, they place them in your arms and you realize, I'm responsible for another human being. There are these moments that you can learn about, but it's not the same as experiencing them for yourself. And I want you to write this down if you've got notes today, that some things can only be fully known by experiencing them. There are some things in life that can only be fully known by experiencing them. And Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, the leader of the early church, Peter understood this dynamic better than most. He was there from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was there watching these miracles happen. He was there the night that Jesus was arrested. He was there the day that Jesus, a resurrected Savior, shows up in the room and says, hey guys, I'm still alive. And Peter was there when Thomas walked back in later, the one guy who wasn't in the room. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. Famously, one of, of Jesus' closest, closest friends, one of the guys who saw everything all the way up until that point, he, he saw 10 of his best friends say, Jesus was just here in the room and he says, I don't believe it unless I put my hand into the wound in his side, unless I see the nail scars in his hands, unless I experience it for myself, I don't believe what you're saying is true. Peter knew this. He was there. And like any good Jewish boy, Peter grew up uh, knowing the history of Israel really well and he knew what happened historically Whenever a generation that had an experience handed off the baton to a generation that didn't. Moses was the man. Moses was the guy who God used to bring the nation of Israel out of slavery and all the way to the edge of the promised land. And Joshua was the next man up and Joshua was the man. He was the guy who saw God part the Jordan River so they could go to the promised land. He was the guy who saw the walls of Jericho fall so that they could have success in city after city after city, no matter what the odds were. The nation of Israel expanded and took hold of this promise. But Peter knew what is recorded in the Bible, and I want to read it for you today, what happened after Joshua. Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But verse 10, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty works, the mighty things he had done for Israel. So Peter knew this very well. You say, why are you talking about Peter? Because Peter was the de facto leader of the church. When Jesus ascended to heaven, somebody had to be setting the tone. Somebody had to be setting an example. Somebody had to be the one writing to uh, churches and saying, this is how you should do stuff, and this is how you... And there were several guys early on, and Peter was the, the central figure there. And in 66 AD, around then, it could have been 65, Peter realized that his time leading the church was coming to an end because he was about to be killed for his faith. And 
he knew how valuable an eyewitness was. And he realized that, because he had seen He had seen other eyewitnesses of the resurrection be killed for their faith. James, the brother of Jesus, was another of the church leaders, and James was executed for his belief. Stephen was one of of the, the most spiritually attuned of the disciples, and he was killed for his faith. And Peter had seen fewer and fewer and fewer people still alive who said, I was there when he came back. I was there and watched him ascend into heaven. And he knows pretty soon I'm going to be gone too. And I want you to think about how he's feeling in this moment, not just as a leader who's concerned about the future. This is not just any guy. Remember, this is the guy that Jesus looked at him and he said, your name has been Simon, but I call you Peter, which is rock. And on that foundation, I'm going to build my church. Imagine the weight of that responsibility when Jesus says, All of the future of the church rests on you. You better be sure that you set a good foundation. And so realizing his time is coming soon, he sets out to write a very short letter that's recorded in the Bible, 2 Peter. It's only three chapters. It takes you about five minutes to read it. And he wrote this as a final encouragement to the church, sort of his last words to the church because he knew that for the church things were about to get a little bit dark. Peter writes this, verse 14, he said, Our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. You hear the, you hear the concern in his voice as he writes. For we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father when Jesus received this. The voice of the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And because of that experience, because of seeing it with our own eyes, because of hearing it with our own ears, because we experienced it, he says, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Get this up here. Here we go. Their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines, or more literally, Christ the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter knew that things were about to get dark and he knew that one of the few eyewitnesses was about to leave and he says, guys, I saw it for myself. And the things that were written in the Bible were not just things anymore. 
the truths that I believed up here in my head, they weren't just truths anymore because I saw it and I experienced it. I saw it for myself and it confirmed the thing that I believed already to be true. It confirmed it more deeply. And he said, you, you need to hang on to what you've been told until that moment when like the sun rising, that realization, that truth, that undeniable reality rises in your heart. And I believe that the words of Peter to the church that day are, are words that God would speak to those young in the faith any age, any day, including today. I know it might be hard to write down on your notes because it's kind of dark, but if you can see, leave the lights right where they are. If you can see, I want you to write this down, especially those of you who are new to the faith, those of you who are young in years, you need to hang on to what you've been told until you've lived it for yourself. You need to hang on to what you've been told until you've lived it for yourself because there are some things in life that can only be fully known when they've been experienced. And Christianity, guys, is one of those things. It's important as a church for us to have good theology. It's important for us to have good teaching. It's important for us to have sound doctrine. And I, I am doing everything I can to study well, to, to rehearse well, to teach the Word of God accurately and truthfully. And we're never going to teach fluff in here. It's always going to be based on scripture. But believing in God because the Bible says so, believing in God because mom or grandma says so, believing in God because Pastor Chris says so, that's a great place to start in your faith, but that's a terrible place to stop. And so many times, American Christianity, we stop right there. Well, because the Bible says so. I don't know. Because Grandma said so. Because that we're a Christian nation. Because we're always in church on the the Christmas, the Sunday right before Christmas, and always Easter Sunday. That that's a terrible place to stop, because God wants a relationship with humanity, not just servants who believe in Him. So Peter writes this letter, he's concerned that people have an experience with God because he knows how valuable experiencing God is. And I think it's interesting as you look at this letter, and let me just say this too, as you study the Bible when you read for yourself, there's so much value in reading more than the verse of the day. There's so much value in taking a, a whole chapter at a time, taking a whole book in a week because you see these things the way they were first intended to be received. And Peter starts and ends his letter the exact same way. We'll put both of them quickly up on the screens. Second Peter 1, the very second verse when he says, this is Peter writing, he says this, grow in your knowledge of God. And at the very end of his letter, Chapter 3, verse 18, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Now, you need to understand, in, in writing the, in those days, there were no exclamation marks. The way that you would highlight something, the way that you would emphasize something is you would repeat it. 
you would say it again. And he opens and closes with the same idea. You need to grow in your knowing God. Remember, he's writing this to Christians. He's writing this to people who are potentially facing persecution for their faith. They're not, they're not flaky Christians. And he says, guys, continue to grow and know God. Continue to, to pursue that. You need to grow in that. See, for Peter, he shared a moment. It's recorded in several of the Gospels. Jesus invites three of his closest disciples up. He goes up to a mountain, and as he's up on the mountain, the voice of God from heaven speaks audibly, and they can hear it. This is my son. And they see Jesus, and he begins to radiate visually, and they have this moment. But you know this, for Peter, it wasn't just a moment. Peter spent three years of his life doing everything with this guy. And when Peter wanted to say, I've seen it, he could have, he could have shared dozens and dozens of moments. And, and I want you to, to hear this. You need to experience God, but you need to experience him in more than just a moment. All right, our students were at Momentum. Uh, this last weekend, it's a, it's a student conference, and they had a moment with God. If you've ever been to youth camp, you know what it is to have a moment. Some of you, you, you can remember back in the 80s or the 90s or the 60s, you had a moment with God, and that's powerful. But what's more powerful is something that grows from a consistent experience. See, Peter, I believe, chose his words carefully, and he said, hang on to the light that you have. Hang on to what you believe like a lamp until gradually the sun rises in your heart. You know, the sun doesn't just pop up and say, surprise, I'm here. That would be really awkward, especially this time of year because it's dark. Anybody else tired of it being dark when you get up for work? Man, winter is a bummer. Wow, okay? It goes, it's gradually, little by little by little. It takes a long time before you even see the sun at all. It's gradual. And he says, grow. Here's how you do that. Again, if you're able to write something down, write this down. Knowing God, then, is a result of seeking him. And I know that's an old school way to say it. We don't say seeking very often unless it's like a job wanted ad, right? Seeking someone with this experience okay but knowing God knowing God is not just a result of having a moment knowing God is a result of a life that says I want to know you help me to understand you as I read what you wrote help it to make sense to me help me to see your character in these narratives help me to see your character in your instructions help me to see your character in your correction Knowing God is a result of seeking him. And if you, if you are new to the faith or if you're young in your faith or maybe you're not so new but you've never really landed on that experience with God, the way that you do that is not, well, let me just go to a conference. The way that you do that is by seeking him. See, second, in Second Peter, Peter writes this in verse 5. He says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. 
He said, you have this book of promises. You have this book that the prophet said would happen. You have this thing that you're hanging on to. And as you hang on to the light that you have, make every effort to respond to it. To seek God and to say, help me to know your heart. Help me to understand who you are. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, this is God talking. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And when you say, God, I want to know you, and you spend time, not a microwave version, a crockpot version, when you spend time saying, God, help me to see you, and you read the Bible and you say, man, I don't understand this, but I'm wrestling through it, and you spend time in prayer and you say, man, I'm not hearing anything back from heaven, but I'm talking and I'm listening, little by little by little by little, that daylight starts to dawn in your heart and you have to hang on to what you know you have to hang on to what you've been told until you've lived it for yourself so hang on and seek him and when you find him when that light starts to dawn in your heart or for those of you who said pastor chris you're preaching to the choir I've had a relationship with God. I've been close to God for 40 years. Praise God for that. But when you do, write this down, you need to be intentional about passing on your faith. You need to be intentional about it. You need to be strategic about it. When that light comes on for you, that light is not just for you. That light is intended for you to share. And you need to coach the next generation on how they can seek God. And not just believe in him, but actually get to know him. Paul, the apostle, wrote this to uh, Timothy, his protege, the guy he was handing off the baton to. And Paul wrote this near the end of his life when he knew that he was about to die for his faith. He says this to a young minister. He says, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. See, there's something powerful about a parent who says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will get up on Sundays and we will go to church. As for me and my house, we will not watch that show. We will not use that language. We will not treat people that way. We will not back out on our commitments. There's power in that. Many of you know, because I like to tease Packers fans all the time, that I am an ardent Dallas Cowboys fan. And people say, well, people have asked me before, how did you become a Cowboys fan? I've only ever lived one year of my life in Dallas. When did you become a Cowboys fan? The moment of birth. Okay? Before I could walk, I had Dallas Cowboys onesies on, Dallas Cowboys sock caps. Before I could say, go Cowboys, I was decked out in Cowboys stuff. I am a Cowboys fan because my dad was a Cowboys fan and is. And my dad is a Cowboys fan because my granddad was a Cowboys fan and he grew up in it. It's a family tradition. This is what we do in this house. We root for the Cowboys. Okay? 
There's something powerful, though. There's something valuable in that. And you have to understand, and you can write this down in your notes, you, can, you can't pass on experiences, okay? And this is important. Those moments that you had, those moments that you had as a child with the Lord, those moments you had as a teenager, as a young person, that those moments that you had, you, you can't impart moments to your children, but you can pass on values. You can pass on the priority that you put, the stack that you say, this is the most important thing in life, this is the next important thing, and this thing down here can wait. And you can pass on those values. I remember the first moment that I stood on the beach and looked out at the ocean. Okay, I was 14 years old. I spent 14 years saying, man, that looks cool. I'd love to see that someday. I remember that moment, and I can't impart that moment to my children, but that moment was a value. And so what my wife and I did is we said, when we're able to, we want to take our kids to the, because we live in Illinois, okay? It, was, it has to be a journey to do anything fun uh, here. Uh, it's true, though. Yeah. But we said there's a value. So I took them there so that they could have an experience because I said, you've got to see this for yourself. You can't pass on your experiences, but you can pass on your values. This is something neat that I learned this week. Okay? Uh, if you like spicy food, okay, any moms in the room, okay, Ashton, if you like spicy food, something you should know, right? Uh, she's like, nope, that's not me. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the flavors in a mother's food flavor the milk that she produces when she's nursing. Did you know that? You eat spicy food, spicy milk, right? Lots of garlic, garlicky milk. Ew, that sounds kind of gross. Uh, but there's a function in that. And, and here's what we realized. We studied this stuff, and we realized that what would happen is long for all of the time of human history before Aldi, you, you ate what was produced in the region where you lived. And what would happen is, long before a child could take their first bite of real food, the diet that the mother ate would start to flavor the milk that the child would eat. And so when they had that first taste of food, their taste buds were already acclimated to the food that they needed to eat. And the values that you have in your home when your children are growing are powerful and they linger and they point towards something. Either you need to seek God and know him and experience him for yourself or you need to show up to church because that's just what we do and then we go right back to how we're living. The way that you communicate that is so important. And so the last thing to write down is this. You need to weave your faith into everyday life. You need to weave your faith into everyday life. It has to be something more than this is what we do on Sundays. This is what we do at Christmas time. This is why we pray before Thanksgiving meal. It has to be more than that because faith that's an addendum can be easily disregarded. Christianity that's an add-on to your life can be easily removed from your life and nothing really changes. One of the reasons why my memory of 
experiencing 9-11 was so broken up into pieces is because that happened before the days of smartphones. I couldn't just pull out the phone and say, oh, yeah, I see what's happening as it's happening. We have a society today where connectivity to the internet is so interwoven through everything that a lot of the devices in your home won't even function if they can't get Wi-Fi. And imagine what a change it would be if suddenly all of the internet just went kaputs and we were back to where we were in the 90s when nobody knew what that was. It would change some things because it's interwoven. Your faith needs to be interwoven into everyday life. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen says this. It says, teach them, this is the next generation, Teach God's values to your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning until you fall into bed at night. You have to make this a part of your everyday, in and out, regular life. It has to be that your Christianity affects how you behave in the office. It has to affect how you behave when you watch the game. It has to affect how you behave when you're over at your in-laws. It has to affect how you behave when you have a cantankerous neighbor next door. It has to affect how you behave in all of those things. It has to be woven into the fabric of your everyday life. Not just for parents, not just for grandparents, but for those who are mature in the faith, who have relationships with people who are still growing. And I'm going to ask Ethan to come up as we close. That's why it's so important to us to have friends at church. That's why Growth Track is a big deal to us, to help you connect to other people because if you're new to this, you need someone to model it. And if you've been doing this for a while, the, the impetus is on you just as Peter felt the responsibility for the next generation. All of us today who have experienced God have a responsibility not to give our experience to the next generation, but to give the value that you must seek an experience. Because Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. 1967, Ronald Reagan gave a famous speech, inaugural speech, and here's a quote here that many of you have heard before, and I read this and I thought, wow, that is spot on with today let me read it in its entirety he said quote freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction we didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream it must be fought for protected and handed on for them to do the same or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free It's a sobering thought. And let me posit to you that in the same way, your faith in God, the Christianity that you hold dear, is only ever one generation from extinction. And it is not passed down in the bloodstream. It must be taught, not the experience, but the value that says you need to hang on to what you know until that reality dawns 
in your heart because so many of you here in the room, you know what I'm talking about when I say you have this deep down inside. You know that God is. And if I tried to convince you, you know, I, I found a flaw in the Bible and this contradicts this and so none of it means anything and none of it's true, you would say, well, that's too bad for you. But I know that I know that I know that God is real because I've seen it and I've felt it. Okay? You know what I'm talking about. So listen, if you don't have that, you need to seek that. And God wants that for you. And we who are mature in the faith, we must, we must, we must pass on the value that mom going to church does not save you. That hearing good messages does not save you. That believing in your mind that God is real does not save you. Listen, every demon in hell believes in God. And the odds are they can quote the Bible better than you can. But the amazing thing is that when Christ came to earth, he didn't come to judge humanity. He came to extend an offer of friendship to humanity and say, I will forgive all of the mistakes. I will set you back in the place where I created you to be, which is in relationship with me. And there are some things in life that cannot be fully known unless they're experienced. And God is one of those things. You've heard us talk a lot recently about having ears to hear what God is saying, about saying, I want you to feel God. And I want to be careful. Never, never, never check your brain at the door of the church when you step in. You must use your mind. God created your mind. God created a logical brain that seeks to understand and always seek to understand. But you also cannot check your heart at the door and say, this is just something that I consider. I want you to know deep down inside, God is with me. God is real. And I may not understand everything up here, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So seek him. And teach the next generation to seek him. And hang on to what you know until that daylight dawns heart. Hey, this is Pastor Chris again. Thanks for listening. If today's talk was helpful in your spiritual life, odds are there's someone you know who could benefit from it. Take a minute right now to share it with them. And if you live in the area, come try out a service in person because church is more fun with friends. See you next time.